Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Prayers of King David. So let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm chapter 18, verses 20 to 50, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, The Final Victory of the Lord. There are parts of King David's life that, well, they should be seen as predictive of what is to come. Psalm 18, which is a royal psalm, is certainly illustrative of that very thing. David is the forerunner of the Messiah. His throne will one day rule the earth. One day all the nations will come and submit to David's greater son, acknowledging his right to rule the nations. The wars that David fought were local wars. They weren't global ones. He fought with the nations around him who wanted to destroy Israel. And I say that because according to the promise given to Abraham in regard to the chosen people and their promised land, the borders of that land were clearly demarcated. Israel was not given permission to conquer the nations, only to rule the promised land and to find peace and safety there. And I like to put it this way. In the book of Joshua, which is the book about Israel's conquest of the promised land, that book is not a book of global jihad. It's a book that shows God's vengeance on the cruelty and sinfulness of the people of the land of Canaan. And it's a book about God's gracious gift of a very specific piece of ground to his chosen people. But Israel's entrance into the promised land was not forgiven or forgotten by her enemies, the neighbors around her, and so they were in constant warfare. King Saul, Israel's first king, was eventually defeated by the Philistines, the group of people to the west of Israel and along the Mediterranean coast. But where Saul was defeated, David prevailed. And Psalm 18 does reflect on that. As we've already noticed when we began our study of this psalm yesterday, David penned this psalm after the Lord had delivered him from all his enemies. Now, last time we noticed that that might simply refer to the internal enemies under Saul, but since this psalm is repeated at the end of 2 Samuel, the outcome is surely that God gave David a much greater gift than deliverance from the hand of Saul. David defeated the neighboring nations that were seeking Israel's destruction. Eventually, David would defeat all his enemies on his borders on every side. David was able to secure the borders, pacify the hostile nations around him, and even make them subject to him. His successes were far greater than anyone could have imagined. Israel, at the end of David's reign, had accomplished something that must have seemed impossible. Peace, security, prosperity. The ability to build up a nation so living under the law of God that the nations of the earth, if Israel had only remained faithful, that the nations of the earth would have inquired as to the wise and great God of Israel. Israel's existence should have been a point of evangelistic outreach to the whole world. And when Solomon had completed building the temple, he had prayed for the Gentile nations who would journey to Jerusalem and to pray to the one true God in his holy temple. The vision that God gave the nation is that they would be a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And as we know, Israel did fail in that mission. But David's kingdom after Solomon was divided into two, and eventually the throne of David would be reduced to a very small regional nation, and that would eventually be defeated. See, David would not rule the earth, but that privilege was reserved for David's greater son. 
But David does serve as a foretaste of what is to come. His victories anticipate the greater victory when his offspring, the shoot that grows up from the root of Jesse, as Isaiah said it, would come to rule not just Israel, but would rule the world. The nations would be his. And so as we read Psalm 18, we should not think only of David's victories and the peace and joy that brought the entire nation, but we should also think of the greater victories which Jesus will achieve in the future when he comes a second time and when he comes to rule the earth and the people of God receive rest from all their enemies. Then persecution will end, then peace will reign. The nations of the earth will then beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. You know, yesterday we looked at the first 19 verses of this psalm, and there we saw that, you know, David gives credit to God for all his victories. And now in the second half of the psalm, we're going to look at God's commitment to his chosen king as well as the chosen king's commitment to God. So let's start at Psalm 18, verses 20 to 30. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. And with the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem torturous. For you save the humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. Now there are, to the astute Bible reader, two problems with these words. And the first is the idea that David has, as he most specifically says in verse 23, that he's been blameless and kept himself from guilt. Now, if this psalm were written before the incident of Bathsheba, well, we might understand it, but we need to remember that the Bible doesn't hide David's sins. And furthermore, since this psalm is repeated at the end of David's life, the conundrum remains. I mean, how can David say that he's been righteous? Well, the second problem is found in verse 24, and that verse says that the Lord rewarded David according to the cleanness of his hands, making it sound like a doctrine of works. And I hope you see why. You know, because this psalm says that, you know, first David was blameless, and then as a reward for his virtuous life, God gives him victory over his enemies. And that sounds like David earned this blessing rather than receiving this blessing as a result of the grace of God. And that would seem to contradict the rest of the Bible, and that's the problem. Let's see if we can unpack and solve those two problems one at a time. The first is David's claim to have clean hands, and according to verse 20, the assurance that he has not departed from the ways of the Lord, and the assurance that he has always been righteous. But look very carefully at verse 22. It says, For all his rules were before me, and his statutes I did not put away from me. And David means to say that he never abandoned the commands of God. He never threw them aside. He never abandoned the law. But he's not saying that he never sinned against the law. David did sin, but verse 22 is still true of him. The rules of God were before him. That is, he didn't take his eyes from God's commands. 
And he had not abandoned the law. Indeed, the law brought him back to the place of repentance. David never justified himself. You know, he said, no, the law is right. I'm not. We need to remember that the law provided for forgiveness of sins. Even in Psalm 51, where David confesses his sin, he appeals to God's said, his covenant love, where forgiveness might be found. And so David's blamelessness consists in the fact that he continued to confess that God's ways were true and just, and that he continued to press in to keep the law, never abandoning it. And there's more. Notice the term righteousness is used two times in this passage. Verse 20, David says, the Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. And then in verse 24, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. But if David sinned, and the law highlighted David's sin, how is David righteous? And the answer to that consists in understanding what David means by the word righteousness. You know, sometimes, as we find in this psalm, the term righteousness can refer to an authentic embrace of God's covenant. That is, the righteousness David speaks about is his willingness to bow before the revealed will of God. So let me say it again. David's not claiming perfection or sinlessness. He's claiming never to have cast God's law behind his back. He's been obedient. And there's an obvious point of application. We need to do the same. You know, there are some who, when they sin, justify their sins. I mean, one person who, when caught committing adultery, told me, look, we all have problems with sin. Mine just isn't any different than anyone else's sin. And so she kept right on in her adultery. Instead of being overwhelmed by her sin and God's righteous judgment, she justified herself to me. May that never be said of any of us. And might I add here that for New Testament believers, our commitment that we're not saved by works, but through faith in Christ, that claim which is necessary for salvation, doesn't make us free from the commands of God. The New Testament makes it plain that if we live according to the flesh, we'll die. As Luther reminded us, we're saved by grace alone, but the grace that saves is not alone. It comes accompanied by a heart ready to submit to God's ways, His rules, His commands, His laws. People who are saved are commanded to walk blamelessly before God. That's not a suggestion, it's a command. If we live according to the flesh, we're going to die. Righteousness consists of bending the knee before God. No one who justifies their sins is saved by grace. Grace consists in rejoicing in God's ways, not our own. It's no secret that in today's society, we're inundated with a chorus of voices trying to shape our lives. They seek to influence our purchases, entertainment, political stance, moral standards, and daily activities. And if we try to bend to them all, we'll lead diffused, dizzy lives. So who is the umpire of life? Well, God is. His voice matters above all others. And Back to the Bible Canada exists to emphasize the centrality of God's voice, God's Word. That is why this month we're offering a booklet by Tim Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. This booklet does not promote defiance or apathy, but is a call to humbly submit to the voice of God. So to request your free copy today, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And don't hesitate because supplies are limited. Now,
now to the question of whether David believes his blamelessness has earned him victory over his enemies. Well, the answer from the rest of David's life is clearly no. When in 2 Samuel 7, God announces that David's kingdom will endure forever, David does not respond by saying, well, look, I earned that. Rather, he's overwhelmed that God should favor him. He's surprised by grace. So then what would explain Psalm 18? Well, look at verses 25 and 26. With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With a blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. That is, if David had departed from the law of God, God would have made David's way torturous, difficult, fraught with problems. You know, verses 27 to 30 then point out that David's only course was to remain humble with bended knee before the commands of God. And David also remembers that this incredible strength which he had in warfare came about because God had willed it. With God, he says, I can run against a troop and leap over a wall. David never thought that the abilities that he displayed lay in himself. All was of grace. And so for that reason, David insists that he must remain faithful to the law, not act wickedly, continue to submit. God has chosen his king, but the chosen king cannot act arrogantly. As if now that he's chosen, he can do whatever he wants. No, no. The chosen king is making it plain that he's not in the past, nor will he be in the future, one who abandons the law. And we need to stop here and think of Christian leaders today, some of whom have been given a wonderful privilege in their leadership. I mean, those privileges come because of grace, not because of works. But God demands that leaders be blameless. Notice again, not sinless, blameless. There will be no willful ignoring of the commands of Christ. Ignore his commands. And the way of that leader becomes torturous. Sometimes reputations are lost. Families are destroyed. Suspicions are felt everywhere. And the warm sunshine that leader once enjoyed is long forgotten. And why? Because these leaders became a law to themselves rather than humble servants. No leader can ever, ever rise above Scripture. If they do, God will ruin them. God is not mocked. That's the lesson of Psalm 18. David's not claiming to be perfect, but he's claiming to be blameless. He's not deserted the law of God. Well, let's go to Psalm 18, 31 to 42, the next section. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back until they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet, for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like mire of the streets. You know, this section begins with two questions. You probably saw them. Each question is rhetorical. It demands the answer, none. You know, the first question, who is God but the Lord, which demands the answer, there is no God but the Lord. That's the affirmation of monotheism. That is, the nations with whom David fought, those nations did call on their gods, but those supposed gods, they were no gods at all. 
the God who is the Lord, defeated those nations, those gods were impotent. Listen to the prophet Isaiah speaking for the Lord, and he speaks of the powerful Assyrian empire of his day. Isaiah 37, 29 says, Because you raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way which you came. You know, earlier on in that passage, God says, Look, I raised up the Assyrians to punish the nations, and now, whenever I want to, I'll turn the Assyrians around and make them go back the way they came. See, God says, I rule the nations. They don't rule themselves, and David agrees. He says, There are no gods of the nations. I mean, what happened to them in their national aspirations, in their cultural developments, their military exploits, all of that was controlled by the Lord. And then David adds a second question. And who is a rock except our God? That is, where's the place of safety except the safety that God provides? And of course, David is speaking about the safety that he enjoyed of all places while he was on the battlefield. Yeah, safety always lay in God. And then David lists all the times he saw God in control, and not only in control, but protecting him in the middle of the fight. The first thing David says, he speaks about his speed. He says, God made my feet like the feet of a deer, sure-footed, very fast. Indeed, if you ever have seen a mountain goat jumping from one dangerous precipice on a cliff to the next one, well, it's something to see. And David says, that's how I was on the heights. In dangerous places, when others were stumbling on the battlefield, I always seemed to find a firm place to stand. And he says, God did that. I didn't. And then he speaks about how, about his hands and the strength of his arms. He could bend a bow of bronze, he says. Now, of course, bows were never made of bronze, but the very powerful ones that had an incredible range and could do great damage to the enemy, they were very difficult to bend back, required great strength. And David said, I did that with ease. God made me very strong. And then surprisingly, at least for me, because we think of all the violence on the battlefield, Verse 35 says that the right hand of God supported him. That right hand is the strong hand. And then, says David, it was your gentleness that made me great. You know, that violent language, and at the center of it, David is taken up in the gentleness of God. And why that? You know, the answer seems to me has to do with the fact that the violence came about because of the conflict, you know, with the nations who sought to destroy Israel. But the gentleness, that, that came from God who was determined to sustain Israel as well as his chosen king and the promise of the coming of the Messiah. And so knowing that God was determined to sustain Israel, David is determined with the strength that God has given him to defeat all of his foes. He speaks of pursuing them, not turning back until they were destroyed. But then lest credit go to God, he immediately goes on to say in verse 39, for you equipped me with the strength of the battle. I was steady on my feet, very quick, very strong, so that I conquered them completely. This, says David, was God's doing. He made it possible. You know, many modern-day Christians are, are shocked with this kind of language. But consider what would have occurred if David had not been that strong and that aggressive. Well, then Israel would have been destroyed, and the hope of the coming of the Messiah would not have occurred. So let's look at verses 43 to 45. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations, people whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. David's great victories remind us not only that the Lord was with him, but it reminds us that in the end, the Lord will be victorious over all his foes. Let's move to the end of the psalm now in verses 46 to 50. 
The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gives me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. You know, David ends this psalm by giving praise to God. He begins by simply saying, The Lord lives, that is, the God whom David has worshipped, served, obeyed, and loved, is not a concept or an idol made of stone, but rather he is the God who exists, the God who ever lives. The very fact that God is the living God has changed everything. And because God lives, and because God has favored David, and has given David vengeance against those who would have destroyed him and Israel's hope as well. David extols God. This is not a poem about, you know, David's greed or lust for power. It's a poem about God's ways triumphing in the earth and God's promises always being fulfilled. David will not proclaim his name among the nations. No, no. He will proclaim the Lord among the nations. And so, in the end, this is a poem about grace. God has chosen David and favored David so that eventually the greater son of David, who is Jesus himself, who would spring from David's line and he would eventually rule the world. The final victory and the glory for that victory belong to the Lord and to him alone. Let's give him all the glory. Thanks so much, John. An interesting question, I think, anyways. How do we understand the violence of this psalm and its context for for you and I today? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the uh, prayers of King David are filled with, you know, mention of violence because he was a man who was constantly at war. Um, So we need to understand also that the nations around King David were determined to cut off the life of Israel. So if David had not gone very aggressively against them, um, Israel would have been defeated. So, yeah, he talks about, you know, trampling on his enemies and, you know, strength in the battle and all that kind of stuff. For believers, however, today, we're called upon to love our enemies, and we're not called upon to, you know, to trample on them. Um, but we are to remember that we are in spiritual warfare and that we ought to think about, you know, uh, straining forward and never giving the enemy of our souls even, a, you know, a little foothold anywhere So, you know, in many ways, I think of violence in that sense against the kingdom of darkness and pray most fervently for utter defeat of the enemy and his plans. Uh, Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Prayers of King David, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. Do you ever find yourself wanting to spend time with the Lord in His Word, but don't seem to find the time? Well, here at Back to the Bible Canada, we understand some days are hectic and challenging. And that's why we would encourage you to check out our Back to the Bible Canada Bible Minute podcast. Each episode contains a one-minute audio Bible teaching message from Dr. John Newfell, with new episodes Monday through Friday. These are perfect for those moments when you're seeking spiritual encouragement, but time is short. So you can download the Bible Minute podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts 
or visit backtothebible.ca slash apps. For more information, give us a call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. And thank you to all those who make Bible teaching resources like the Bible Minute available through your gracious gifts.